And now, live, it's time. Harwell will go back into the gun. Jacobs cuts middle, walks in. Jackpot, baby. Josh Jacobs, touchdown. It's time for the JT the Brick Show. We have a good team. We have a good team that competes with uh, Suffolk all the time. On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. We don't feel like effort's been an issue at all. It's the handoff. Bust toward the end. Jackpot, baby. Pinion Drake takes it home. Here's your host, JT the Brick. Thanks for coming back, everybody. Appreciate you listening today as we're brought to you by Wahoo's Fish Taco. Any of the locations here in the Valley, they'll have you all dialed in. That California cuisine, all of their tremendous food, the burritos, the tacos, the fish tacos, the experience you have, uh, the newer location, the second deck over in Henderson where you can look back at the city and see Allegiant Stadium from the second deck with live music there. Head on out to Wahoo's Fish Taco. Henderson right there in Eastern. You'll love that location here. Hour number two of the show, uh, we'll talk to Rich Passaccia, the head coach, my conversation with him coming up momentarily. I think the big issue now for the Raiders and every other team is making sure that they don't have a COVID outbreak. And there are you know, some teams going through it right now. The Ravens were down to 13 defensive players at practice. So I remember we played Baltimore the first game of the year. Do you remember how banged up they were and how many players they didn't have? So they are in the midst of another COVID outbreak in Owingsville, Maryland. The Ravens were down to 13 defensive players from their 53-man roster at practice yesterday. Quote, you go from the beginning of the season with our roster right now, I don't know if we're playing football or squid game. That's from Don Wink Martindale, friend of the show, former Raiders coach here. He said that today. While it might seem like Baltimore is in the middle of that Korean survival horror horror drama series, according to ESPN, the Ravens are actually preparing for a battle for first place in the AFC North shorthanded. So that's a game that we got to keep an eye on here. And I'll get into the scoreboard watching a little bit later on this hour and what the Raiders need to do. We're looking to hear from you on the culture of the Raiders heading into this uh, last of final two home games. So the last two final home games are Denver and the Chargers. And what has the Raider Nation learned about the Vegas fans? In a good way. You know, these are new fans. A lot of fans have never been to a football game until this year. Or they've never been a fo- there's never been a pro football game in Vegas. So you got to give these fans a break. This is not Oakland. This is not San Leandro. This is not Hayward. This is different. It's not L.A., Compton. You know, it's not the L.A. Raider fans. So you're seeing the Vegas fans here, and I think everybody should be together as a family and trying to tell these Vegas fans about the history of the Bronco rivalry. So if you got a story, if you can tell us why you believe the Broncos are the team that you despise the most, and the team that you want to go after the most and why this rivalry is so important to you, that's what we do. I think we do that best here with our interviews and the people that we put on the radio, and I think it would benefit the Las Vegas Raider fans who are coming to this game. There will be two screening sections set up for alternate screening. So remember, a lot of people are coming in for the first game because it's the holidays. You need to have the clear pass downloaded. You need to have your vaccinations up to date. And if you're in the middle of getting vaccinated, if you're in between your first or second shot, No problem. Uh, There is a screening tent, and they'll get you all set up so you can go into the game. So that's important, too, as people will now understand what's going to happen. Dion Warwick, the legend, the Hall of Famer, will be performing pregame. Great friends with Mark Davis. 
tremendous, iconic performer here in a Vegas icon. So she'll be performing too, which will be great as the Raiders try to give you entertainment during the pregame show when you come in from your tailgate. So head on out there for that. The other thing that I'm a little bit confused about for our gamblers out there, I don't get this line. I don't understand this line. Uh, the Raiders opened up against Denver as a pick and it's still a pick The line we use is the Superbook of Jay Cornegay and Jay Sherman, and they have it as a pick game. Why is that? You get three points for playing at home. Why aren't the Raiders minus three against Drew Locke and Denver? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? Can anybody tell me why this is a Raider pick game or Raiders minus? Well, let me get, let me find out here. What does Circa have this at? Circa's got it at a pick The Westgate's got it at a pick Win WinBet's got it at a pick What am I missing here, Raider fans? Why aren't the Raiders like a two-point favorite? Is it because they didn't cover against Cleveland? And Cleveland had 18 players out? Eight starters? I don't know. I think I'm pretty sharp. I don't bet, but I put the best gamblers on. Why is this game a pick game when the Raiders are playing at home for their lives? They're playing for their bleeping lives, and it's a pick game? Come on, Raider Nation. Sprinkle 100 or 200 on the Raiders if you're going into the game. I mean, that's my bar tab when I walk into the Twitch Lounge. I'm buying drinks for everybody. Find a brick. I'll buy you a Modelo. Uh, maybe I don't bet, but maybe someone should take 100 or 200, walk into that building, and bet the Raiders. Pick them. Man, I need to get the godfather, Brent Musburger, on the show. He'll explain that. What's the total on this game? Total opened up at 42. It's at 41 and a half. You don't think this game's going to be at least 24-21 and go over the total? What's, what's going on here? Oh, I know what's going on. Oh, I get it. The Raiders haven't done anything on offense since Dallas. They're throwing underneath. They're not picking up first downs, and they're not explosive on offense. And Denver's coming in with one of the best defenses in all of football, and they only give up 17 points a game. That could have everything to do with it. So what should I do the last hour before Christmas? Sit here and talk about a conservative game plan against Denver? We all want to go balls out and attack, attack, attack and throw down the middle of the field and pass to set up the run and forget about this run game. Ladies and gentlemen, are we at the point in time now where we're not going to give up on the run? You're going to run it. But I'm talking 70-30 pass to run. If the Raiders are going to make the playoffs, I don't know of one Raider fan on God's green earth that believes they can do it by running the football. I don't know one. If you know one, call me. This is a Derek Carr team where Derek's at home again over the Christmas holiday, and he's got to throw for 300 yards again against one of the best teams in football. Derek's been pretty successful against Vic Fangio in this defense, but I just think Vic Fangio's back end of the defense is going to want Derek Carr to attack and throw down the middle of the field. So we might get in there in the first quarter. I'm going to be sitting in my seats with one of my sons. We'll be rotating. And I don't want to have to go to Twitter at JT the Bronco. Raiders trailing 7 nothing, Three minutes to go in the first quarter. Please. It's been all year. Come on. I don't want to be sitting in my seats going, it's seven minutes left in the first quarter. The Raiders are down. 
and they're throwing underneath. Let's get off to a good start. Let's attack. Let's get Edwards down the seam. Let's get Moreau on a wheel route where he catches a ball and takes it up for 30 yards. Let's attack in this game. Or are the Raiders going to sit there at practice and go, look at the film here. We can't attack these guys. Let's go underneath the Hunter Renfro, and let's try to establish the run with Josh Jacobs. I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't know. It's confusing. Hopefully Eric Allen will clear it up for me and our guest at the pregame show. Mike in Staten, Italy. Mikey, what's up with this line? Why is the Raiders at home a pick when you get three points for being at home? Yeah, I, JT, I, I couldn't disagree with you more on your, your prior statements. This game isn't about style points. It isn't about being down 7-3, three minutes left in the uh, first quarter. It's about having one more point than Denver at the end of the game. You're not going to open it up. The strength of Denver is their defensive backs. You got it. You said it 100%. Renfro over, you know, underneath. Jacobs, a couple of trick plays, but you got to play ball control. You got to play possession. You got to play. You have a weapon, a weapon as a kicker. I don't care if we don't score a touchdown and we win 12 10. It's going to be a low scoring game. They, they are going to take the air out of the ball. They're a running team. Our linebackers are, are, are hurt. Our safeties are hurt. They're not going to. They're going to do ball possession. It's going to be like an Army Navy game, JT. It's going to be a fist fight. I got to see our defensive line show up because we're going to need the defensive line, the Crosby's, the Nissim, everybody to get in there, win the one-on-one battles, JT. I couldn't believe there is no way they're going to put this on. All right, though, Mike. All right, so I, I, Mike, you, you're a sharp player. You're a big gambler. I, I respect your opinion. You didn't answer the question. Why aren't the Raiders a two- to three-point favorite at home in their house fighting for the AFC playoffs for the wild card? Because the Raiders have not shown that they're able to win that game other than last week. The Denver's defense is the, out of the four things there. Denver offense, Denver defense, Raider offense, Raider defense. Denver defense is head and tails better than those other three parts, and that's what they're banking on. That's what the shot – the game opened up uh, uh, Denver minus 105-42. It's now a pick them 41 and a half. So all the – listen, all the public money goes on Dallas and all the public money goes on the Raiders. So that means all the sharp money has been going on Denver. Thank you, Mikey. Appreciate it. There's a sharp guy. So that's what he's telling you. Bet with your wallet, not with your head. So he just gave you a great analysis as a high-end gambler. And that's not a guy who bets five bucks a game, everybody. That's a guy that's betting thousands of dollars on Raider games because I've been with him and I've watched him cash tickets. And he knows what he's talking about. So the Denver defense just got the injury report in moments ago from Will Kiss. Some good news and some bad news. Josh Jacobs, who did not participate yesterday due to illness, was full today. Zay Jones' toe injury did not participate today. He was limited. Foster Moreau, abdomen thigh, limited yesterday, limited today. Carl Nassib, full, full participant. Now let's move on to Denzel Perryman. Ankle did not participate yesterday, limited today. Great news. Fantastic news that the pro bowler, Denzel Perryman, practiced today. And then finally, Darren Waller, tight end, did not participate. Was hoping he'd be back by now. Was hoping Darren would be back by now. We know he's trying to do everything to kind of come back. 
And I'm looking here overall. It looks pretty clean. Teddy Bridgewater's not playing. He's in concussion protocol. Everybody else there is pretty much playing. Kenny Young, the inside linebacker concussion, he did not participate. And everyone else is full or limited coming back in, including Javante Williams, their great running back. He was limited today. 702-365-9200. Fabian in the Bay Area. Thanks for calling in on the flagship. What's happening? Hey, JT, as always, thank you very much. Hey, here's some little history for everybody. Original AFL members, both the Broncos and the Raiders. After banging their heads up against Kansas City and uh, the Steelers, the Raiders finally won the championship in 76. Then the following year, 1977, AFC championship game. After lifting the Lombardi trophy, looking at their second Super Bowl in a row, what happens? Fumble. Rob Lytle fumbles, and the referees screw the call. No call. Yep, the the no Rob Lytle game. fumble, as you said, yeah. if you look at the immaculate reception, the tuck rule, do you, and this is what, what I've been asking for today, great job, do you put the Rob Lytle fumble on the Mount Rushmore of the all-time great Raider tragedies? Yes. It has to go there. In fact, other than the immaculate deception, that's number two, and then the snow job. Look at you. Is there a fourth? Because you have four presidents. There are four presidents on Mount Rushmore. You can't have five. So let's No, this is a good topic. So the all-time worst Raider screw jobs, all-time, immaculate deception on the anniversary, by the way, uh, tuck rule, as you said, Rod Blight will fumble. Which is the other one we're forgetting? I know some, some diehard Raider fan can tell me. What, what is up there on the Mount Rushmore of screw jobs? Well, there's, you could always go, uh, how come we didn't get the weekend off before the Super Bowl, before the mm-hmm. 2002 Super Bowl? We had to go without a customary two-week break. Do you put do you put the do you put the John Gruden released emails at the timing? Do you put that in the top ten? You know, JT, when you think about that, that would probably have to go number one. Ooh, sorry that to sorry to ta- tear open that scab. Yes, it is. But let me get some some, some good some good highlights though. In mm-hmm. 1988, Monday Night Football, the Raiders are the king. They're down 24 to nothing. Big comeback by Dre Schrader up in the Raiders Monday night record to 26-5-1. Then in 2005, Ronald Curry, the one-handed catch from yes. our favorite, Phenomenal. Rich Gannon. One hand in the back of the end zone, Raiders win. Then the best one, uh, one of the best ones, 2010, the Raiders blow out. They kill them. They slaughter them. 40-59-14 in Denver. That was great. That was such an awesome game. And then Oakland last year, mm-hmm. Carter Renfro, game-winning touchdown in the front corner, the uh, left front corner of the end zone, that dart Derek threw to Renfro, touchdown, Raiders win. So there are some good points. There are some low points, but this is – Anytime we play Denver, anytime we play KC, anytime we play the Chargers, it's a must win. There's only Fabian, Fabian when are you coming to your next home game? When are you coming to Vegas? Well, I'll be seeing you Saturday. I'll be seeing you Sunday at, uh, at the Black Hole. I'm, I'm the one that parties with uh, Dr. Jen. 
Great. Let's have a couple of beers on that. This is a phenomenal phone call as you're giving us the history of the Denver rivalry. I owe you something for that. So uh, we'll figure it out. Thanks. Thanks for doing this. Fantastic phone call. Okay, JT. I'll see you Sunday. That was really good. That was, that was that's an excellent phone call because it's on topic. It's on brand. It's a call to action. You know, we're not giving away cupcakes today. Raider cupcakes. We're trying to win the game. And that's an important phone call as he broke down the history, the absolute history of the Raider-Denver rivalry, from the Rob Lytle fumble to the Ronald Curry one-handed catch. Those are some great points. And if you look at the history of the Raiders getting screwed and bad calls, just go to YouTube and look at Rob Lytle fumble. And remember today, today, if that happened, there'd be a review. There'd be a review and a challenge, and the Raiders win that game and go on to another Super Bowl. When you get jobbed by the refs and you lose a Super Bowl or you lose to the tuck rule or you lose to the immaculate deception and you could probably add on another Super Bowl, those hurt even more. Speaking of Super Bowls, the John Madden documentary is coming up, and that's a big deal because I've been all over this. One of my buddies were involved in the process at Fox. I saw some of the advance on this. Make sure today, and I already did it, go ahead on your DVR. On Christmas Day and all Madden just hit record. I mean, Raider fans, you are going to be treated to one of the great sports documentaries. When Fox goes all in, when Fox goes all in, they go all in big. All right, Bobby, do we have time for Coach Passaccia right here? All right, earlier today at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center, I sat down with the head coach of the Silver and Black, Rich Passaccia. Okay, Coach, let's begin with the Cleveland win. And I want to talk about the similarity to the Dallas win. You've had two big walk-off wins in a month. What was that like when you saw the team running out onto the field? And walk me through the locker room celebration. Well, if you go all the way back to the locker room celebration, it was certainly um, for those guys to get the monkey off their back a little bit, so to speak, and to um, just to compete to the bitter end is what we've been trying to do in every game. And to have the opportunity, we got the big stop on defense, we got the ball back to our offense with a minute 50 to go in the game, no timeouts. To go down the field like that gives uh, a chance to, to kick a winning field goal and for Daniel to come out and do what he does. It was it was uh, certainly satisfying, to say the least, but it was a, a moment for those guys, I think, because of the way they've worked over the past month, month and a half, to come out victorious in a battle like that. What about the stress overall on the game changing and all the schedule changes? You're dealing with this unbelievable staff in the building there, and there's a lot of people behind the scenes when you look at air travel and everybody trying to get you there. You were going to go, then you stay back, and then you get that satisfying. Well, I, I, a great credit to everyone in our organization, not only players, but certainly you talked about our, our flight crew and, and all those things that go on with um, Tom Jones and his crew as well. And um, it was just something we couldn't control. So I think we were going to be evaluated as to how we responded to those things, right? And I think our team did a great job and certainly our logistics people as well made it very easy for us to transition from one thing to the next and be on time to go play the game in Cleveland. You lose Jonathan Abram in that game. We saw him come out holding his shoulder. Raider Nation was hoping for the best. It didn't happen. He played arguably his best game of the year. Talk about the loss. He was the player of the game for us on defense. He did play his best game. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a big loss for us. As a lot of the losses have been, um, it'll be next man up mentality. We'll see as the week goes on who ends up getting a lot of the reps in there and and uh, we just have to line up and play coach your secondary now with covid that's fluid as we speak here and the issues of bringing next man up your defensive coaching staff really has their hands full to get the right players out 
matched up. This is a big test for your defense. Certainly. You know, it's a big test whoever's playing for us. It was a big test last time we played them with their receivers and their size and physicality on the outside. And, and then playing, you know, Drew Locke. We haven't played him since last year. We played against Teddy early in the year. So um, we'll, we'll have the right group out there. It's just a matter of we need to get a few more days underneath our belt to see who's actually going to be out there. You're facing a lot of running backs now. Don't want to go Jonathan Taylor. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about that next week. But you just had Nick Chubb. Does that help? Because in the last four weeks, Denver's rushing attack is now second overall in football in that one month. They're really running it well. They have a two-headed monster. Yeah, and again, in December, I thought we did a better job of running the ball last week. In December, people are trying to run the ball. They're trying to get time of possession. They're trying to be in position in the fourth quarter to win the game. We're doing similar type things. So, um, you know, we, we're excited about the way Hankins and our defensive line played last week. You know, with those guys inside, they were a force. I think we only gave up really one explosive run towards the end of the game. So we're hoping to do the same again this week. It, it'll be a tough matchup. And, Coach, we go back to the preseason when this defensive line was built. You had extra guys. I mean, the competition, can we touch on that from July, August, all the way to now to the end of December? You're really counting on this defensive line with these running games coming up here, and they're stepping up. Again, it's December football, right? Yeah. It's running the football, weather changes, those type things. And um, we – continue to have competition in our practices and and uh, they've been the mainstay for us up front and uh, we're continue we're hoping to continue it continues as we get going here throughout the season last year there were no fans but I remember that drew Locke game and he played I think banged up with some ribs and he played a heroic game for him he was hurt in that game and he was trying to get outside the pocket and the Raiders got the best in that game but I was just impressed with how he played and he played hard that whole game what do you see with him on tape because he likes to sling it He's a little bit less conservative than Teddy Bridgewater, so the change in the game plan here. Yeah, he's, he's got a live arm. You know, he yeah. can make all the throws. And I think to your point about last year, is I think he's trying to prove something as well. So anytime you're playing against someone um, of his talent level that's trying to prove something, has a chance to be a dangerous day. Let's get to the Pro Bowlers. You talked about Max and his speech afterwards. He was so emotional. I know you are happy, too, for Cole and Perryman. These are first-timers, and you've been doing this a while. When a Pro Bowler goes eight, nine times, they're used to it. What's it like when guys go for the first time and they get that news? Well, yeah, I think it's, it's certainly um, it's an individual honor, but they, they did a great job, I think, of um, giving the accolades to their teammates as well. And no, no one does it alone in this particular sport. But I think those guys all have a great sense of humility about them. Um, it's exciting anytime someone can do that. It's important in our league for guys to get voted into the Pro Bowl, and hopefully we'll have some alternates as we get going um, throughout the rest of the season. But well-earned by those guys, and, and uh, hopefully they're, they're not available to play in it. Hopefully they were playing in a different bowl. Absolutely. Coach, one more Denver question. They got ball hawks, and a lot of fans want to see over-the-top throws. You know this. I deal with this on the radio. Attack, attack. Then you have a defense like this that has several players who like to get the football intercepted and make plays. So the underneath pass, taking shots, this secondary. Talk about Denver secondary. Yeah, and again, we faced it last week, right? Yeah. We put the ball on the ground a few times again last week. We certainly had the horrible day the week before. Um, the way in which we're practicing right now, it's kind of a walkthrough mode because of a short week. So we're working on the ball security. We're working on doing different things, getting the ball down the field as well. It's just a matter of putting ourselves in position to make some plays. But they're, they're aggressive on defense. They're really well coached on defense. And they've been going after the ball week in and week out. Last one, you addressed it a bunch this week, playing better at home. I know the Raider Nation feels that way, too. They want to help in any way they can. This is the holidays coming after Christmas, before New Year's. There should be a festive crowd here, an opportunity to get over 500. Yeah, we'd really like to help Raider Nation with a win yeah. at home. You know, and uh, we're hoping they're coming. We're loud. They're excited. And uh, we need to keep them, in a, keep them in a loud, violent mode. You know, So hopefully we can do that, do our part. Happy holidays, Coach. Same to you. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. 
Wow, a loud, violent mode. How about that for Coach Passaccia? So I don't know how many interviews that's been for me with him, six or seven, whatever it is. He's had some signature wins. He started off 2-0, and the win in Denver, beat Dallas on Thanksgiving Day, and then walked off the Browns and probably eliminated from the postseason. So when you look at the overall run at Rich Passaccia, he's had some big moments. And there are times where the team has not played to the best of their ability. It's another big spot for the head coach. I appreciate his time and carving out, you know, this time for me every week. And you can catch that on the Silver and Black Show this week. It's also up at YouTube. And uh, if you're a Raider Nation fan, please share that. That's the latest conversation with the head coach of the Raiders. I don't call him interim head coach. He's the head coach. Okay? There's a future. Whatever happens down the road, he's the head coach of the Raiders. And he is busting his ass to try to win games. And he's deferring, you know, Gus, you got the defense, and we know that Coach Olsen's got the offense, and he looks at special teams, and there are a lot of coaches there. And his job is to have this team ready and to have them practice well, and he's dealing with a lot now. There are COVID concerns around the league. Uh, The Raiders need next man up with all their injuries, and it's an important moment here now. It is an important moment for Rich Passaccia, Gus Bradley, Greg Olsen, and all of these coaches. All right, whatever the game plan is, be more aggressive than you think. Be more aggressive because this is a Legion Stadium. The team is 5-10 and ten at home lifetime. Through 15 games, they've only won five. And the fans deserve a spirited holiday effort and a victory. And I know that the players know that when they come out of the tunnel. The game doesn't really start off for whatever reason the right way, but they're ready to play. They're ready to play, and they can't be held back in this game. This is a game where it's got to be, let's go, let's take a chance, and we'll see what happens with the game plan. We're going to know early in this game. Seems like that's the story at Allegiant Stadium. Music's popping, light shows, everybody's going crazy, torches lit. Game starts, and we know in about five minutes the tempo of the game. And I hope the tempo is a little bit more intense as Denver's in town. Really good show today. I appreciate all the callers, all everybody on social media tweeting. We greatly appreciate your uh, hospitality here and your support of the show. Brought to you by SalmonAshInjuryLaw.com. Salmon Ash, because you deserve what's right. The, the you know, the... Of what is this year four in the league now? Like that's that's helped just you know put me in situations. And I mean, on Friday, our coaches run through practice with us where we put ourselves in situations where you know they might call me a timeout before I quit kick or something, or you know have to kick it twice like we did today, stuff like that. So you know, we we do a great job, coaches uh, AJ and Trent, especially on Fridays, getting situational. Um, reps where I can put my mind through that and then be a little more comfortable uh, game day. Daniel Carlson, what a year he's had. A.J. Cole, the punter, goes to the Pro Bowl. J.T. back with you, one of my favorite guests I often talk to. Nick Ferguson, kind enough to join us, the former safety in the NFL who had an outstanding career and also played in that Raider-Bronco rivalry, Nick. I knew it always fired you up. Tell me about the rivalry dating back to Al Davis, the Raiders, now Vegas, and Denver. How are you? I'm doing well, JT. Thanks for having me. That that rivalry was uh, arguably one of the better rivalries that I've uh, participated in. 
in my decade in the NFL. And the thing that made it very interesting is because, I mean, there was this ongoing dispute between Al Davis and our coach, Mike Shanahan. And even though we didn't speak about it that much in the organization, but we all knew kind of what was going on as far as Al Davis telling uh, Mike Shanahan, listen, I owe you money, but uh, if you want it back, you have to take me to court for it, and you would end up spending more money in court fees than I actually owe you. So that was kind of an extra incentive to kind of uh, play well against leaders, whether it was home or away. But you know what? I, I haven't to the new uh, Death Star, as we call it here in, in, in Denver, down in Vegas, but I can tell you this about the uh, old uh, Oakland uh, playing field, that gravel in the middle mm-hmm. of the field. Was, uh, we, we hated it, especially during baseball season. Uh, you fall on that stuff, it rips up your skin. And then the one thing I did like about you know driving into the co- to Oakland at that time was the fans. The fans made it great because they were just going to piss you off. They were going to say and do all types of things leading into uh, the game, exiting the game, throwing eggs at our bus. It was a very – it was a fun rival, and which made it uh, really uh, awesome – when we would actually uh, win, especially on the road. But it, it just seemed like the rivalry is not what it used to be, and the reason being because neither team has been performing well over the past couple of years. Well, Nick, I was going to move on to uh, Peyton Manning because I thought Denver was very fortunate. That took a lot of guts because Manning was injured back in the day when they brought him in, got to two Super Bowls and won one, and it put the Broncos back on the map recently. And I want to transition to some of the other quarterbacks out there in the NFL and start with Russell Wilson. Do you think with all the work you do and all the, you know, the analytics and looking at numbers and the deep dives that it's not worth Russell Wilson staying for a rebuild? They don't have a lot of draft picks there because of the, the deal when they went out and got their safety. So should they move on and should Russell move on and give a franchise that's close an opportunity to win a championship? Absolutely, uh, that should happen, and, and that's what I'm hoping that George Payton actually decides to do. I know there are other quarterbacks out there, Deshaun Watson. We don't know what's going on with him and his office field troubles. He could end up on a commission exempt list. Then there is Aaron Rodgers, and I know it looks really attractive and luring with Aaron Rodgers, but Aaron Rodgers is the type of player that he plays well in the, on the field, but he's like a GM in his own right because he wants things his way. And if they're not, then it makes it for a difficult time for everyone, management included. But Russell is the best fix. Because I think about it this way, JT. When we look at the fact that Russell and his two Super Bowl appearances, there are a couple of things that the Seattle Seahawks did well. Russell really wasn't turning the ball over. They ran the ball well, and they played great defense with the Legion of Bull. When you look at the makeup of the Denver Broncos right now, they have everything that you want. And I know going out and getting Pat Sertan uh, in, in the first round, a lot of fans here in Denver are still salty about that because they could have gone out and get their quarterback. But if George Payton can pull this off and bring Russell here, it's an afterthought. Now you have everything you need. You had a lot of young pieces this year that had an opportunity to go out there and play. And if you're Russell, you're looking at, okay, well, being here in Seattle, I've been beat up for the past couple of years, and that continued to happen. And knowing as though you have Tyler Lockett and D.K. Metcalf, and you really can't get them the ball because you don't have a run game to give you balance to, to give you those passing windows down the field. So I, I think it would be great for both Russell's career moving forward 
and also for Pete Carroll and the idea that, you know, every team you get to this point, you have your run where you, you have playoff, a playoff push, maybe a couple of Super Bowl appearances, but then things start to change as you start to move on from different guys, either on your coaching staff or, or, or as a personnel standpoint. But now, knowing as though you are in the rebuild, you need draft capital to be able to do that. And right now, the Broncos have a lot of draft capital offered to the Seattle Seahawks for a guy like uh, Russell Wilson. Absolutely. Nick Ferguson, former 10-year NFL safety in the league. What a player. Want to move to a Saturday game on Christmas, Colts-Cardinals. Not an elimination game for either team here, but the Colts can get on a big roll now. Jonathan Taylor, 1,518 yards, 17 touchdowns. And the Cardinals are just playing sloppy football. Kyler Murray looks like he's hit a little bit of a wall. They got to get rolling again. Who do you like in this game? It's a home game for the Cardinals to try to keep the division and go to 11 wins. Well, you know, at the beginning of the year, I thought that Dance Joseph had this uh, defense clicking on all cylinders. So it looked like it was just a sure thing for Arizona. But uh, that's this is where we are. COVID and injuries will do that to you. I still think the Cardinals, Cardinals are a great team. But looking at the Colts right now, I mean, they, they're built uh, to make a, a nice little playoff push. I mean, they play great defense. And I, I would have to say Darius Leonard is one of the, the top cornerback, I mean, linebackers, if not the best linebacker in today's game. And just look at the fact that you don't really have to ask Carson Wentz to do a whole hell of a lot. All you have to do is turn around, hand it off to Jonathan Taylor, and he would do the rest. And I have to go back just a second. Looking at the Colts facing off against the Patriots, that was going to be the tail of the tape. If they could go out against Bill Belichick, who loves to eliminate your best player, I thought that that was going to say a lot about this Colts team. We saw, I mean, Jonathan Taylor, 170 yards against Bill Belichick and that Patriots defense. I mean, the Colts are right there primed to make a push, but I don't give Arizona the biggest chance in the world because their offense has been sputtering, but run run defense and pass defense and you running the ball well, to me, I think it's uh, come away with the victory. Nick Ferguson is our guest. Nick, one of the signature plays of your career, AFC Divisional Playoffs 2006, your safety blitz against Tom Brady, then the 100-yard interception by your blitz for Champ Bailey. Anybody who wants to YouTube but that was a great play. I was thinking of you when we were having you on about what you saw with Brady getting shut out by Dennis Allen in New Orleans. Again, he's lost four in a row against this team, and you're, you were a safety that looked in the eyes of Tom Brady. When you watched that game, Tampa and New Orleans, what did you notice with Brady and the pressure and the fact that he just can't get in a rhythm against that opponent? Well, you just said it right there. I mean, when you face a divisional opponent, you know, twice a year, you build your book on as far as what do you need to do to stop them. And the main catalyst has always been pressure on Tom. I mean, Tom has never been a fast guy. He's never been athletic, and he'll tell you that himself. So as a pass rusher, you know if the launch point for Tom is at seven yards, that's exactly where he's going to be. So if, you get, if you're able to beat the guard, the tackle, the center, Tom is going to be sitting right there, dead to right, so you can bring him down. And what I've seen every time that the Bucks and the Saints play one another, it's dominated by line play. You, you win and lose games you know, in, in the trenches. And for, for, for the love of me, I don't see how the, the, the Buccaneers have not resolved these issues, keeping in the extra running back or keeping in 
a tight end to help out their tackles. But I mean, the the, the Saints defensive line they just dominate the Bucks every single time. And I, and and JT, it doesn't help when you have three of your top uh, offensive contributors to go out with Godwin. Evans and Fournette that puts you at a disadvantage and you don't really have that many weapons so what it has exposed for the uh, the Buccaneers is that listen their offensive line is not as great as they as they were when they played in the Super Bowl in Kansas City that can be due to a lack of focus and breakdown and techniques but also this team relies on their skilled players and with them being down skilled players it can be problematic for the Bucks moving forward as far as trying to get a top playoff position or even making the playoffs and having a deep run. Nick Ferguson. Nick, one more. This time of year, fan scoreboard watch. What was it like back in the day as a player when you know you got three games left, you got to run the table, but your coach is saying let's take it one game at a time, and you're in radio now and fans are calling in with this scenario, no, we got to win all three. How do you do that as a player? How does that get into the locker room? that you got a Herculean task in front of you to run the table, but you got to take it one game at a time and focus on the opponent. Well, it's a cliche saying, and we call it coach speak, but it is uh, just that. you got to take it one game at a time. You can't look two weeks ahead as far as who's down the road and who you have to play and the issues that they may have and how you match up. you got to deal with the opponent right in front of you because if you don't beat that team, then no need to worry about the next two. And right now for the Broncos, they have to worry about beating the Raiders and trying to keep their playoff hopes alive. It is a very small percentage, JT, but it's a percentage nonetheless, so it should give you an incentive to go out there and play well. And just to say that you, you don't make the playoffs because things don't go in your favor with other teams, you're still playing for, for pride. You still have to go out there and you have to play well because as a player, you're always being evaluated, even guys who are still on the contract, but mostly the guys on expiring deals. When I was with the San Francisco 49ers, I mean, we had a, a bad season, 2-14, and 14, something like that. So for me, I was watching to see what guys will continue to go out there and practice hard, play hard, because those guys, if, if they do those things, you look to bring them back next year and hope to have a better season. But if you still have guys checking out saying, well, you know what? There's only uh, three games remaining in the season out of it. Why am I going to give my best, put my best foot forward? I don't want that guy on my team because mm-hmm. you have a lot of young guys, especially on this Broncos roster, who are looking at those guys. And those guys can now set the table and the culture for what happens if they move on. And if you're a guy who are not put, you're not putting it on the table and on the line, I, once again, I don't, I don't want you here. So you have the same thing taking place with both locker rooms. I mean, it's going to happen with the, with, with the Raiders, and it's going to happen with the Broncos. So you have to go out there, and you can't worry about the COVID list. You can't worry about the guys who are injured. You have to go out there with the guys that you have on game day, and you have to put some, something together and try to win that ball game. Thanks, Nick. Merry Christmas. I always enjoy our conversations. Best to your family. Same to you, JT, anytime. There he is, Nick Ferguson. Nice career. Ten years in the league, 420 tackles a physical safety, played in a lot of big games, and I wanted to get him in here for the rivalry with the Raiders. And he talked about it. You know, very interesting what he said about the end of the season. If your team's eliminated and you got veterans who won't play injured and you got veterans that aren't going to play that hard, normally you don't become a veteran in the NFL if you put up bad tape. you got to play every game like it's your last or you can get injured. And in this rivalry, there's been a lot of guys who have played hurt 
and hopefully this, both teams, but especially the Raiders injury report, we get some clarity on it. There's still a little bit of time left, but there's some guys that really hoping they get back. So earlier today, I had a source in New York that told me, get ready for some COVID news. And that's why I was driving into work today, driving into the Raiders. So I got a text from a buddy of mine in New York who said, get ready for some COVID news. Field Yates just reported 20 minutes ago, the Texans placed six more players on the COVID list. Uh, Adam Schefter, Saints players, Saints players placed on COVID list today. Both quarterbacks, Taysom Hill, Trevor Simeon. Safety, Malcolm Jenkins. Offensive line, Jordan Mills. Defensive line players, Christian Ringo, Jalen Holmes. Safety, Jeff Heath. We remember him, Raider Nation. Caden Ellis, the linebacker and offensive lineman, James Carpenter. They're in a tough situation with their cap and the players that they have to bring up and pay. I mean, the Saints, there's a story brewing, everybody, with the Saints that you heard it here first from me. The Saints, there's salary cap issues for all teams. The Saints, up against the cap, might not even have the money to go out and sign the players and pay them for the move up from practice squad and the issues with their cap alone. And the league might have to step in with the Saints and give them some relief or go against the cap next year. That's a developing story. Man, the teams that have COVID, again, we don't COVID shame anybody. Anybody can get it. Now it's at a point where New York is under siege, under siege with COVID. So anybody can get COVID now. You know, it's not because you didn't do something right. If you're vaccinated, you, get your, you give yourself a better chance. You know, I've been fighting a lot of anti-vaxxers this week, which I shouldn't be doing, but some of them just take it personally. There are people in my position and much higher positions that use their voice to tell people get vaccinated. The last two presidents, to politicians, to movie stars, to rock stars, to just ordinary radio guys. Why wouldn't you use your platform? And all I keep telling everybody is by getting vaccinated, you give yourself a better chance in case you get COVID and it's life and death. And it has been life or death for a lot of people, but a lot of people who don't want to get vaccinated never want to address that. They they think they're supermen and it's not going to get to them. Look at the NFL now. You can get COVID being vaccinated, but you can help your team coming back sooner. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was, uh, <laughs> I'm on the sideline. I, you know, I 100% believed in, in Daniel. You know, he's he's money. And uh, we're sitting there, and we're like, all right, we're checking out the wind. I'm picking grass up off the ground, seeing which way the, f- <laughs> sorry, which way the fucking grass is flowing. Excuse my language. Um, but we were just laughing. I'm like, all right, we're we're trying to make sure we're all good. And then he hit the first one. I'm like, all right, he's gonna he's gonna hit the next one. So it was uh it was exciting. Mad Max. Mad Max. You know, I've, I've said this, my favorite moment of the year. There's been great moments. I mean, great moments, especially the win against Pittsburgh and the opener on Monday night. Remember when the Raiders opened up the stadium initially, it was against New Orleans and Drew Brees. Mrs. Davis lit the torch. The Raiders won. There was no one in the building, but it was a big moment in Raider history. Huge. And then they open up the next year at Baltimore and beat Lamar Jackson in overtime. Great moment. My favorite moment was that second Carlson kick because if he would have missed a kick, which wasn't an easy kick, it would have just added to some of the ugly moments this year of what happened, which we all know 
what they were. And it just would have been piling on. It would have been like, no way. Cleveland went from last to first place. The Raiders got to get on a plane because the great Carlson missed a kick and the season's over. The, the, the amount of relief I had going on to that postgame show with Eric Allen, it was big. And I really, really enjoyed that moment. It was fantastic. And hopefully the Raiders have a moment like that coming up. Mitch in Jersey. Thanks for waiting, Mitch. Merry Christmas. Go ahead. Merry Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas, JT. Happy and safe to you and your family. You're absolutely right. Just get the vax. And it's still not 100 proof, but give yourself a better chance. Um, I want to mention two players, but two, you were talking about the Raiders, you know, bad luck and several overall. How about the freak injury with Bo Jackson? And Marcus Allen should have been Raider for life, like Derek Jeter was a Yankee for life. Do you think Barber can contribute to the running game and also yes. uh, just keep throwing the ball to the tight ends? Thank you. Yeah, I would agree. That's Enjoy a good point, game. Mitch. I think that Barber could be great. Vinny Bonson, you're reporting, Jermaine. Jermaine, oh, look at this. Luminor and Roderick Teamer added to the COVID list. Say, so Teamer and Luminor added to the COVID-19 list. That's the information that I was waiting on, that I was trying to be quiet about until we knew it. Vinny Bonsignor, the great Raider insider, and our teammate, two more added to the COVID-19 list for the Raiders, Illuminor and Teamer. So if you look at Nate Hobbs and his situation, the players, there is COVID right now. There is COVID inside the Raiders. That's it. Now, hopefully not a lot, but I was waiting for that today, and we just got that. So hope those guys are good, and they're able to get off the COVID reserve soon. Sal in Arizona. Sal, thank you for calling in. We appreciate it. Oh, no problem. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Um, I think I've got a fourth um, screw job for your Mount Rushmore. What do you think about the index card game? uh, (laughs) I was there for that. I was there for that. Not too far away. That's when I spent a lot of time on the sideline during the game. So, yeah, I remember that. And that was that that makes me sick whenever I see that ref on TV still on television makes me sick. Yeah, that was one of those. I mean, just like the tuck rule, I've never seen it before in the NFL, and all of a sudden, yep. of course, it has to happen against the Raiders. Appreciate the call. There it is, the index card game. Oh, Jerry Jones getting out of there with a win. That bothered me. Bobby, jump on the microphone. Merry Christmas, Bobby. You are the heart and soul of the show. You put the whole show together. You book it. You do great things. And, Bobby, how many Christmases has this been for us together not literally together on Christmas Day, but working together, going back to sports fans since 96, correct? I don't know. I ran out of fingers and toes a long time ago, man. We've been doing this. <laughs> I think Bobby and I have I been together. I didn't do together. the Christmas show this year. Usually we do that, maybe next year. Yeah, Bobby does a Christmas show every year, which is out there in a good way. And uh, didn't we get in trouble for it one year? Or they, someone said, what was the backstory when you played the Christmas show in overnight and I left? No, there was never any kind of problem. I, there were, in I, fact, during the weekend that we were gone, other shows were playing hours of the Christmas show on their show because yeah. they didn't have anything else to talk about. And how would you summarize the Christmas show in 30 seconds? What was the Christmas show? A whole lot of music, a whole lot of sound effects, a whole lot of weirdness. Of yeah, weirdness. Very best idea is to get a hold of the green scene and then enjoy it that way. That's probably the best idea. Yeah, it was a very wild show that initially I so did not want to attempt. 
I didn't want to attempt, but uh, you talked me into it, and it was good. Thanks a lot. Merry Christmas to Bobby. You our as entire well. team. Yeah, you too, buddy. And our entire team at Lotus, all of our partners. So we're off tomorrow, but I'm doing the yeah, Gene Steratore. Thank you, Chris. Gene Steratore with the index card. Uh, thanks to everybody who listened. We're off tomorrow, but I'm doing the double brick tonight on Sirius XM, 7 to 10 p.m., 6 in the morning to 9 a.m., a marathon run after this show. And then I'm going to celebrate and drink uh, Modelo's, a bucket of Modelo's, some good wine, and I'm cooking my famous Christmas Eve Christmas chicken parm. So my sons are home. I have a lot to be happy for, and I'm happy to have this radio show. Have a great Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to Raider Nation Radio.